Do we need to turn down for what? Turn down for what? Hey everybody, welcome to episode 44 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I make webvertisements. I'm Sam and I make artvertisements. And today is April 5th, 2016. Before we get started, there's going to be fools, lots... April April 1st. <laughs> Just kidding. And there's there's going to be a lot of profanity, innuendos, uh, adult themes throughout this podcast. So Some if you adult are dancing, in fact, you, yep, there's going to be gyrating, grinding, and hipping, and jump driving, jump driving, <laughs> and jazz. Uh, hands, perhaps like. wailing and jazz hands will make an appearance <laughs> as well. <laughs> wailing, so, yes, wailing and the tearing of clothes, and, and we jazz. may also be wailing, <laughs> which is the act of hunting, murdering whales, whales <laughs> so which again is, is a very adult thing to do. Yeah, do not come along. Yeah, kids. Should not go wailing. Kids should not wail or listen to um, this podcast. They're related. Yeah. So speaking of adult themes, we played the fuck out of a bunch of games this weekend. <laughs> we did. Well, let's talk about why. Yes. So, so you were great at these transitions. I, lo yeah, I love your segues. I, I think the question <laughs> of the question of why it was that we took like four <laughs> days to just play video games. Is yeah, that one. seems like us being lazy devs. Doesn't it, it does. But here's an interesting thing. It was hard for me to play video games all day. I was being lazy about playing video games. Now, yeah, that, that sounds yeah. like a really serious first world problem. It I was. I woke up, there. I was like, oh, I don't want to play games. Oh, so I just have to. I think it's because we put ourselves into, you know, into a mindset of we need to play games for research, you know, because we, we went so long without doing any gaming because we were working so damn much that we missed out on a lot of stuff and we forgot what's out there. So we and had it to was for research. Stuff. So, so we have to, it's different than just playing a game for shits and giggles, right? Cause you have to, the, the goal is to understand what the game is doing. That's interesting or that isn't interesting. So you can come away with some game. So you can copy away. it for later. Yeah. So you can yep. copy, copy, paste, and then reskin and publish your clone. Boom. Good artists copy, great artists clone. That's right. As they say. But so we played uh, we played a crap ton of games and everything from stuff that was out like two years ago to stuff that was... Or older even. Newer. Uh, but I think there's a few of them that we want to talk about. Uh, I'm going to hit... I want to hit Factorio first Kay. because it's the single player one and it's... Uh, Seth and I played it. Uh, yeah. Adam did not. So Adam I did not play it. The, Tell me about this game. Adam could what be is the fool of So Factorio, the idea is that you make a big automated, uh, essentially like an automated factory line. You happen to be outside, um, and for some reason there's aliens trying to kill it's you. It's a top-down view of a game. It's also very ugly. <laughs> it is an ugly yeah, One of the most hideous things all I've ever I gathered seen. from the... Uh, from the Steam page was the ugliness of the game. Yeah, it is. It is an ugly title, but uh, there's a reason. Well, I guess maybe there's not a reason for it being ugly. There's no reason for it to be <laughs> ugly. There's a, it looks incredible at a certain scale. What I mean by that is Factorio is all about building like assembly lines for machines to gather resources, build stuff for you, assemble those things into other pieces, and then also like use those to build other stuff that builds itself. So it's this big, crazy thing where you, you start off with just like there's just piles of resources you put a mine down on top of it, then you build like a, 
a little uh, treadmill sort of thing that carries resources that come off that mine down to some other thing that processes them, that passes them on to something else, etc. And so you build up these big, big processes that end up looking like these insane factories. And so, I mean, if you just watch the trailer for it, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about, where the guy drives down, he like chops down a piece of wood, puts it on a on a uh, one of these assembly line things, and it goes down, follows the piece of wood, and then it goes and it shows this just insane sort of uh, contraption going on down below where he's made this, I don't know, like 800 piece factory set. Um, so Factorio is really, it was very neato, uh, but it is weird, neato. That's a good, that's a good it's word a good for it. it. Like it's neato. It's a great take on the crafting thing and, the, and it's really fun for the automated purposes. It's very, it's, it feels like it was made by a programmer, you know, in the sense that like, <laughs> in the sense that it's ugly, it's kind of ugly and everything's all about automation all the time. Yeah. And so it does feel like a programmer sort of game, but Adam would, would love it. I think, I think he actually would like it a lot, but I need to give it a try. It suffers from this really weird thing, which is that it actually does a pretty good job. Uh, opening up like the whole game is very complex it does a great job though at first of kind of opening you up to how the different systems work how to really make an intricate uh, you know factory line that makes sense and how to shoot aliens in the face and then once that tutorial's done the first level of the campaign that you start you yeah. start with a factory like that's up and running that is probably like three to eight fold more complicated than anything that you built during the <laughs> they just uh, give the it tutorial. to you they just give yeah. it to you and so I, oh, I saw this thing and I was like I don't know. I I don't want to touch this. This is better than anything I've made. I have no idea what to do with this. Fucking well, and thing. the weird thing about that is, you know, the the joy of that comes from planning out the automation and building these cool, elaborate systems and what makes them understandable, even though they're elaborate, is the fact that you piece them together yourself. Exactly. Yeah, well, it's just like a one, big piece of software, right? Like, Yeah, if you're looking at someone else's code, it's like usually very hard to read, right? Yeah, yeah so yeah, I had the same feeling. I went through the tutorial of Factorio. I was like, just fuck yes. This so is cool. fantastic. And then all of a sudden I had to do work. They're just like, here, <laughs> right. we'll figure, figure this, this out. out. Yeah. And then I, I think that's like, an well, I'm done. So the important <laughs> game Debbie lesson here must be What's make sure your tutorial is good. Yeah. Well, not not just that, but I think this was a, a failure to understand what was super enjoyable about the game, which is building the damn factory. Right. And being handed a finished factory is not fun so yeah hmm. so i'm anyway, not sure so what, what they're it just doing is worth playing but Definitely it's worth, worth playing, playing but just be prepared because once you're done with the tutorial you're gonna get slapped in the mouth yeah and i think <laughs> I, I believe there's a free to play mode which are like a, or a free play mode sorry not a free to play um a free to play mode where you have to pay a dollar for every uh, asset you put on the ground yeah you know, there's a there's a free play mode where i i haven't actually tried that one but my assumption is after doing that campaign that that probably just does what i actually want which is just plops you let's you build stuff yeah yeah so it may be yeah. more i may give it another go yeah Hmm. Very cool. And then otherwise we played uh, Warframe and The Division. And which, let's talk about those because that's I, an interesting pair. Uh, yeah, I, w- I want to talk about them in tandem. Uh, so a quick sort of synopsis if you don't know much about these two games. Warframe is something that I would consider a co-op online third-person shooter RPG. Sure. Fair. Yeah. That's a lot of genres you Why just slammed together. Yep. Like well, I mean, each of those has some... some element uh, in Warframe. And the division is the same thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. They're both online co-op third person shooter RPGs. And I think in both you can play in squads of up to four. Correct. Yeah. Uh, So where's the difference? The difference comes from uh, the moment to moment gameplay and the loop structures that the two games 
employ. In Warframe, you are what we have internally referred to as a space ninja. Yeah. And the whole point of almost everything in the game seems to be revolved around making you feel as unbelievably badass as possible. Yeah. You're basically fighting an army of clones that are constantly degenerating and they've augmented themselves with mechanical parts, uh, as well as crazy robots and other insane shit. You have weapons like laser whips. Uh, you have all kinds of abilities, like you can summon tornadoes. You can electrocute everybody. Yeah, you can just do all kinds of crazy, crazy stuff. It's just way over the top, and it's really, really immensely satisfying well, I think the, to play. The important thing about it is that the it's it plays actually like a 3D, like an insane 3D platformer. I think it's a very important note. Oh, yeah, movement is, is really important. Yeah, like movement is everything. You can wall jump and basically wall run infinitely, actually, and also wall climb infinitely. If you just jump straight up in a wall, you just keep on going. And your character also can kind of fly. So if you jump in the air and then you zoom in, like you want to, you know, like, zoom in with a bow to shoot someone from far away, then you actually start kind of like, you do like a slow hover. Yeah. And uh, you can shoot people in the air. So, so you can do all these really cool, they feel like you're doing trick shots. Cause like you'll jump in the air, you'll do a flip and then you zoom in on a target and then you, you know, because you're not falling or flying through the air so fast now, you can actually, you know, line up the, the sights and, and shoot. Um, so it's it just every element of the combat in Warframe is super satisfying. Well, and then the meta game um, too, though, because it, it has a ton of RPG aspects. Where you know RPG basically just means you you level up your thing and make it better over time, and that that happens kind of outside of well, within and outside of uh, normal gameplay. Yep. Um. So so in the case of Warframe, every damn thing that has to do with your your gameplay, so your weapons and the character you play as, um, as well as modifiers and all those things are have their own upgrade tracks there's loops on loops there's loops, loops, loops on all loops. the way down so yeah and yeah, if you, you want to you can make a new weapon by crafting it and uh so that has its own loop structure because you have to find all the components well, and you find the craft a thing well yeah i just want to say like the, the idea there is you get all these loops stacked on top of each other on top of the really epic feeling moment-to-moment gameplay so right. that the whole experience like just really propels you constantly forward in the game but it's yeah. something interesting about this though because to me the so that's like the combat and the general moment-to-moment gameplay in Warframe is that extremely fluid, essentially 3D platform ninja-ing, right? Yep. Now, in The Division, it's actually, they take the opposite approach, which is uh, tactical. Very tactical, uh, very high-risk movement, and uh, and also, like, it's not fluid much at all. So you're... you're High-risk movement meaning you're constantly being shot at and you have to stay behind cover right like 95 percent of the time yeah so it's about clever use of cover and then also as a squad it's actually usually about uh finding good sort of angles to of of flanking like sending a person over to make sure that you can attack a target you know from multiple sides and you're not getting flanked by the enemy and so it's much more tactical in that regard warframe interestingly like as you add more there there are stealth elements to warframe if you're playing by yourself you usually actually want to be very sneaky and like kill things without them knowing that you're there but in the case of uh, of Warframe as your squad size increases. So as you go up to like four people, <laughs> it just, it just turns into a... Yeah, it, it the more people you add, the more mayhem ensues because you have too many people to make it so that you're not going to cause an alarm. And so everyone just goes kind of nuts. And so there's explosions going on, everyone's beating stuff up. But in the division, like the more players you have, the more people you have to worry about uh, from a tactical standpoint, but also the more elaborate those tactical maneuvers can be. So I think the, the division actually scales better on a squad-based uh, sort of thing than just from a from a moment to moment gameplay 
than Warframe does, uh, but it plays completely differently. But interestingly, I think most interestingly, the moment-to-moment gameplay of both Warframe and The Division, to me, are they're equally good, in my opinion. Yeah, I think um, they both feel great. They're just they're very, very different. Very different from each so, other. So this is why I wanted to talk about the, the loops after establishing that. It's so like the moment-to-moment gameplay of both these games is phenomenal, but on opposite sides. And they're both hobby games, right? So basically, if, you're, if you want to play these games, you're going to have to choose one or the other pretty much. Right. Uh, yeah, they take a lot of time. Com- I mean, they take a lot of time commitment to, I think, it, uh, the full enjoyment of, but that's only because they're so huge. Yeah. Like yes. they're just, there's always something to do in these games. And the interesting thing, though, is that as Adam was talking about the way Warframe implemented its loop structures, where it's just loops on loops, everything that you can get that you can use to modify yourself can also itself be modified to be more powerful, um, such that there ends up being just a ton of gameplay and you just always feel like you're making really good progress. In The Division... Uh, what we all found was that the reason for that progress, the supposed reason that you were, you know, getting these new materials or upgrading these buildings or doing research or whatever, fell kind of flat because everything felt like just a side grade of sorts. Yeah, it didn't feel like you were becoming more awesome, really. Right. They had more choices available to you, but you never actually had more things that you could do at once. So a good example of this is they have a talent system. And I think it's like every five levels or something, you get one new talent point. But you actually unlock new sort of talents to choose from much more rapidly than that such that you end up i mean we were i think we were level nine we played for like six hours or so um before we quit but so we had each of us had four different talents that we could choose from but you could only actually pick one of them and so and they weren't really that big of a deal yeah so like the it has it has this ring of of sort of like faux specialization to it i guess is the way i'd put it like it didn't seem like it mattered you know each of us had different skills and then we all kind of ended up honing into uh similar skills actually so adam and i both used uh, the turret system as a, as a secondary skill. And then I was using the remote detonator, which I think Adam had also, or someone else had also. Um, and so like, well, I, I had, a, I have to say though, I, I had a different experience because I just picked all of the abilities that revolved around healing. So I definitely felt like I was specialized um, because mm-hmm. I was the only one who could keep you guys from. Yeah, I would murdered. agree for sure. Um, but as far as the actual approach to the, besides the healing aspect of it, as far as the approach to the game. Yeah. I was still just running around shooting things in the face 98% of the time. Right. So, and it was just, uh, it was very interesting playing those two games right next to each other, especially because the division is like 60 bucks and none of us have also dropped AAA monies on a game in a long time. Um, But we decided since everyone was talking about the division and about how good it was or whatever else, just how interesting it was with regards to this stuff that we should do it uh, and give it a go for research purposes. So we did. And Warframe is completely free. And I mean like free as in like free. You can really just not pay any money. <laughs> One of the top reviews is some guy who's played for like 3,000 hours and he paid, he's dropped 25 bucks into the thing. <laughs> right. You know, like it's a genuinely, it's genuinely a game that you can Well, it's actually one of free. the interesting aspects of it is that it almost encourages you to not spend money. Yeah. Given the the costs of things, it's actually all quite expensive if you want to buy something in the game. And you still, even if you buy a thing, for the most part, you still can't have it until you find all of its parts and stuff. Um, so there's actually kind of a weird disincentive in that as a free play game to actually buy stuff. Well, and if you buy something, so I spent some money in Warframe because I thought it's a fantastic game and I want to support it. So um, I threw down 20 bucks to get, uh, I I didn't really know what I wanted to get. I just wanted to pay the developers. (laughs) So... Uh, then I just picked a couple weapons um, and a different Warframe to try out. A Warframe is kind of like a character class. 
Um, but in all three cases, uh, I actually preferred what I started with. So I tried out the two new weapons. I tried out the new Warframe for quite a while. And slowly over time, I just was like, meh. And I just reverted back to the, the two weapons in the Warframe that I started with. Um, so it didn't really matter. You know, it didn't like make me overpowered or anything. Uh, it was just a different way of playing. So, yeah. And those ones are interesting because in that, in this case in particular, the Warframe, they would benefit hugely from allowing people to actually try out stuff before they bought it. Uh, a la League of Legends. Yeah. Right. Uh, but which they don't seem to yeah. have for some reason that I can't figure out. So uh, it was very interesting playing those two games. And then on top of that, all the other ones, uh, I guess the, the larger point with that is that after, I don't know, a good four or five days of just playing a crap load of games and then talking about them very in depth, uh, we got some really fun ideas for, for what we want to do next, uh, which we're not going to talk about, but sometime, sometime <laughs> yeah. later. So I'd, I'd say kind of the, the verdict on the two is they're both fantastic games. Uh, the Division, if you're looking for a more sort of like slower paced, more strategic combat, I'd say. And more realistic, I guess. I mean, in a, in, a, in, in a some sense. ways. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, it is the case that you're going to unload yeah. three full clips of an assault rifle into a guy wearing a sweatshirt and not doing enough damage to him. And he's going to walk up to you with a baseball bat and one shot you. I mean, that is, is uh, he's wearing our sweatshirt. Seth. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, basically that, that a is, realism. <laughs> it's they take realism so far that they that the aspects of it that are clearly a game become even more clearly a game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whereas with um, Warframe, everything feels weirdly totally fine. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you get hit with a flaming, <laughs> like a flaming laser whip, then that wouldn't be surprising either if it one-shotted you or only did like 10% damage. Like you, you there's don't have generally a no real life. Yeah, there's no real <laughs> right. life analog to being hit by a fire laser. Whip. Well, and and being a crazy like r- robot like mechanical fighting machine, right? It's true. Uh, in that yeah. context, because like yeah, I, you just <laughs> it's abstracted enough that you never have to worry about whether what's happening makes any sense. And I think I think it's a lot of why that game works so well. Yeah, and I have to say. P- the moment to moment combat to me in war personally, I prefer uh, between the two. I prefer Warframe. Uh, it reminds me of, I feel like I have this vision in my head of like a nineties commercial of a kid sitting down to play a video game. And like, he turns on the screen and then just like fucking energy beams are just shooting out of the screen and his hair right. is like blowing back and stuff. Um, like it's just so over the top. Uh, I kind of, that's, that's what it feels like to play it. It's just super fun. So, yeah. uh, and then otherwise we, so we, we were playing some of those games. We had a few, uh, meetings over this past week, uh, including talking to some people at Microsoft about getting Crashlands onto Xbox, uh, yeah. and into the windows 10 sort of ecosystem. Uh, but that kind of led to a much broader discussion, which is something that I think we should talk about on the podcast. Let's, Let's do, do it. Because business and, is weird and hard. Yeah. Uh, so this so this problem is is a problem that anybody in a small studio will face, which is something that we often refer to as as just bandwidth. Uh, which is we only have three people that we can apply to problems. And if we have 10 different problems, those problems can only be solved three at a time. They got to go into a queue. And in the case of something like Crashlands, Crashlands has a huge number of, we'll call them problems. Really, they're just things that we need to do. It's almost more like opportunities yeah. in this case. Um, so things like trying to get it onto PlayStation, trying to get it onto Xbox, um, bringing, you know, getting a DRM-free version put together and putting it onto GOG. Um, getting translations just, made. Yeah, translation engine. Like there's all there's all kinds of stuff that we that we want to do and we need to do. Finishing the, the creator. For the health of the game, um, to bring more opportunities for us as a business and to 
get the game into the hands of, uh, of more people. But every day that we spend doing that is another day that we aren't developing new games for our players. Uh, and both of those things are are equally important, right? So working on our older games and making them even better and giving all kinds of cool new stuff to our existing players is a really big deal and it's something we want to do. Uh, but we also want to be making new stuff. So we, after some discussion, we decided we just need more people um, yep. to, to take care of this. There's just no other way around it. We can't keep doing everything in sequence. We need to dual core this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are going to be, it's, this is all very, this is all tentative in the sense of we're still in the planning stages, but we will be posting a blog post about opening up a position for a role at the company that we are going to refer to as something like life support. The idea being, uh, this will be a person who is essentially a game programmer, but they will be the one who takes responsibility for uh, keeping our, our existing portfolio alive. Mm-hmm. So they'll be uh, doing content patches, rebalancing patches for all of our existing games, uh, adding even more cross-game perks and stuff like that through Bscotch ID, as well as bringing them to new stores, uh, trying to find ways to translate and localize, you know, just all of this stuff that we want to do, but we can't do yet at the, because it would be at the sacrifice of, of making new stuff. Yeah. Um, so we'll have a bunch of info on that on the blog. Uh, but yeah, we, we're, we're going to be hiring. So, yeah. well, and I, I want to add to this that just like the last time we, we talked about this, uh, I don't know, a month ago, a couple months ago. Right after Crashlands launched, because at that time, too, we were talking about expanding the studio and why we would want to do that and what that would look like. And one of the really weird, hard problems that comes out of this is how do you actually hire people? Like, how do you how do you find people who match the job you're trying to create and make sure that they can do the job you want them to do, that they're a good fit for the culture of your company, all that kind of stuff. And, And if you look at what most companies do, they basically collect resumes Look at them and see if they seem <laughs> to match. Them. Read yeah, them. Go, I guess. Well, you went to school. Okay. Call you for an interview. That'll, that'll if they, yeah, if they think that they like you, then they hire you. Um, and of course, it's not quite as simple as that, but that's the general structure of the thing. But as as we all know, you know, people, you know, resumes don't mean a whole hell of a lot. And more importantly, uh, a person's history is much less important than what they can do right now. Also, what they can grow to do. And, and what they that, can grow to do. Yeah, I mean, it's the part of the if somebody has 30 future. years of experience, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be really good for the position that you have. Well, in fact, it might be detrimental because they might be too stuck in, in, in previous ways of doing things because things like the games industry move so fast and change so fast that adaptability is by far the most important thing. Well, I mean, but, I think the, the greater point, though, is just that we realized that we would never be able to be hired ourselves yeah. <laughs> into our own company. All three of us, well, well, not into, into our, our company, jobs, you mean. Into, yeah. our, into our industry, I think based on the skills that the three of us have on paper, none of us are hireable in, in other studios. Right, like what am I going to write my resume? Can't draw. <laughs> Can't draw, but can do vector art. You know, well, that's, for probably me, not, like, that's probably well, not totally fair. <laughs> I mean... The fact is we have a portfolio of stuff that we've done. We have a, you know, we have three years experience doing, doing those things. 
Um, well, yeah, but, now, but, but I mean, yeah, but if you look at was, minimum requirements, you know, they'll be like, here are all the languages you need to know and blah, blah, blah. And like as a programmer for me, especially, um, I just don't have those things. Well, I'm not even so. thinking about this, uh, from a, from the standpoint of now, cause where we are now is highly specialized based on what we've been doing for three years. I'm thinking about this from a, from a three years ago standpoint, which is okay. Yeah. You were a psychology major with little programming yeah. experience and no art experience. Right. Seth like, was no, a, no fucking way. Anybody Seth would was ever a legal school kid, right? dropout. Uh, just learning how to program. Right. And you're a PhD in, in molecular biology. Well, like, I wasn't at that time. I was you're not. You're a candidate, yeah, right? I but I mean, like, well, to be fair, though, we did get hired, uh, but that was through game jams. Yeah. That we did. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like, I think that's the interesting thing is like the, so I guess that actually directly informs what's coming next, which is yep. the, the method by which we're using to actually hire someone has much less to do with paper based qualifications and much more to do just with what we can actually see as far as uh, capacity to learn, capacity to get something done, and just general grit. So what we're going to do is essentially, a, it's essentially a game jam uh, sort of a thing, a series of them. In, in, a, in a manner of speaking, yeah. Um, where because this role in particular is going to have to involve teasing Seth's code apart. Uh, we're <laughs> basically... Good we're luck. Gonna, yeah, we're going to build our own game here uh, sometime in the next week or so, uh, take two days to do it, and do our own little internal jam. Uh, and with this game, which is going to be buggy and you know a two day game, uh, we're going to send that out, make that available for uh, for people who pass the first hurdle of getting in, and then ask them to essentially you know prioritize based on on some values, uh, various changes and updates and stuff like that that they would like to make to the game, and just see essentially, essentially see what someone can actually do, will actually do in a yeah, very yeah. limited time, yeah, practice. and then actually go implement some of those changes and. And show us that they could figure out how to do the things that they think are important with with that. Yeah. Game. Well, yeah, the, the job is effectively them is, is going to be this person taking the games that we've made, uh, finding ways to make them better, which does mean that they would have to take a critical eye toward them. Right. And fi try to think of things that are that are wrong with them or that could be better mm -hmm. and actually go in and edit the code. And so that's that's going to be what the application process is. Yeah. So we think this is going to be we got to still put this thing together and who knows how it'll turn out. But we think this is going to be a very cool way to 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 filter people and find people who are really into what we're doing and can actually do the job that we're that we're hiring for. Very exciting. Crazy stuff. We'll put out more news, of course, as we as we work on that. So if you're interested, stay tuned. Yeah. Keep an eye. Keep, just keep an eye on the blog. That'll be where the first the first batch of news goes. Yeah. We'll be putting up uh, very, very soon a list of kind of the rough background uh, information that would probably be good for you to have an eye on or know before the whole thing even starts. So that's either talks to understand or to hear, uh, books to read, articles to read, that sort of thing. So that'll be coming up soon. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I think that's all we got for news. It's yeah. kind of a big one. Big, it's kind of big a big news, news piece. Yeah, we kind of uh, we kind of hit it there at the end, though. So if you were listening to this and we're like, oh, I'm tired of hearing about these games. I want to skip it the questions. You probably missed this hiring it's opportunity. Hidden. It's hidden. Well, hopefully, hopefully you read the blog then. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, let's go over to uh, player questions. And these questions come from podcast.bsketch.net. They get refreshed every week. And by that, uh, we so mean we delete the crap out of the old ones. We, we don't just delete them. We delete the crap out of them. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, as hard as possible. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to get your questions into future podcasts, just head on over to podcast.bsketch.net. And because of the fact that we delete the crap out of them, uh, you know, any given week, you actually have a pretty reasonable chance of getting your question on here. So by all means, ask away. And uh, I want to mention, uh, we did have the same question asked twice now by the same guy. So I wanted to address it. Who asked what happened to Grubby's eye? Um, <laughs> so I've got that in my, in 
my wheelhouse for one of the next stories to produce uh, in the lore series. So, so that will be coming up. But do you know who asked that? So, I don't, I don't, I can, so we can I give him credit. Let me look it up real quick. Mm, Rupert. It was Toby X. Toby X. There you go. So we'll Stay be writing a story to explain to you what happened. Stay tuned for Grubby Eye News. All right. So first question of the day uh, is a development question. And this comes from Frog Ninja, who asks, what are your thoughts on the RPGization of all genres? Does every game really need level and skill progression? <laughs> I mean, probably if we go into like the extreme, no. But I think in general, it just it makes games more... Uh, well, I guess what what it does is it sort of makes you feel much more of that that effect of of having a thing that you've invested in get better over time. And it's a, it's a fantastic way to introduce really really complicated stuff in a piecemeal fashion. Yeah. Um, so one one of my you know classic games that I always refer to is uh, World of Warcraft. By the time you get to level cap in that game, you have what maybe fifty unique abilities. Yeah. Uh, if you were just handed that right out of the gate instead of getting them one at a time through the leveling process, holy hell, you would be over. It would be like It'd playing be like Factorio. Factorio. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a really nice way to sort of drip feed new and interesting ways for the the player to play in such a way that's not overwhelming. Yeah. I guess really nice the, so. I guess really the question then to back it up is what does what does a level system generally allow you to do in a game space? And then backing that up further, or I guess going from there, why would you not want to put that in? I guess to turn the question. Yeah, I do it. like that idea that that Seth put out of basically saying a game actually consists of just a just a ton of complex stuff that you can do and what the rpg aspect does is actually takes away all of those pieces and then gives them to you in a small number at a time so that you actually get to learn and become an expert at the game okay so, it so that's one you, cool thing right cool so rpgization aspect. helps the player actually learn game content at an appropriate rate yeah which allows th- the game to be more, more complex and i think there's one to me personally there's one circumstance where it's definitely not appropriate what's that um and that is in a player versus player competitive multiplayer environment. So uh, one of the great things about Rocket League is the fact that it does not have RPG elements. It's a pure skill game. And because it's a, it's essentially the game is how good are you at hitting soccer balls with a remote control car? (laughs) Right. Um, And if somehow you could level up your car to just make it faster or better or have a tighter turning radius or whatever. You have an unfair advantage. Yeah. So so you end up with a compounded uh, difference between experienced players and newer players, because not only do new players suck at the game, their cars also suck. And so they end up getting pushed out really early. Um, And I I feel like this is something that kind of happened with Tribes Ascend. And Team Fortress 2. And Team yeah, Team Fortress 2. Yeah, I mean, the reason I stopped playing Team Fortress 2 was when, as soon as they introduced their market where you could get these like bats that do a one-shot kill and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. It went from a game where I'd, I'd become pretty good at all the characters. I knew how they worked. And somebody wasn't going to be better than me because they had better stuff. Well, this sounds more like a problem with matchmaking, though, honestly, than it does with the RPGization. Because, like, so, for example, taking Rocket League as, as an easy example, um, if it could be the case that you could specialize your car 
you know, you can level up your goaling abilities via goaling and unlock some special skills or something like that, but you're always placed in the appropriate tier with other people who, you know, had the same opportunities as you, then I'd, I'd, I would disagree that that would cause a problem. Yeah, but that's I think that that's fair. That's that's an excellent point. And I, but I think there's a sort of a, a caveat to that which is the that requires a huge number of players uh, because let's say let's say you have a game that has a hundred power levels for the character for the mm-hmm. player and each of those levels is significant in some way right? Uh, right you generally want to pair players against levels that are very close to themselves uh, but that means you have essentially a hundred brackets to match people up in and if you don't and also as people are constantly progressing through them the longer the game has been around the fewer they, people they there cluster are the towards bottom. the top yeah, yeah. Um, and so you end up with this problem where you just don't have enough players at the lower, at the lower end. Actually, it's probably that the um, middle end dries up because you have a bunch of new players that quit. And then a right. bunch of, <laughs> yeah, I suppose uh, it's probably, it's probably kind of a U shape. Uh, but in any case, uh, you know, if the, if the goal is to match people against other people of the same, you know, power level, then it does get tricky. And I think it works with something like League of Legends because it's a free to play game and it's so huge. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, it gets much, much trickier if you aren't something that has 60 million daily active users or something <laughs> right. to choose from. Well, I so. think, I mean, I guess the, the general gist I get from like the goal of RPG ization, as Frog Ninja put it, is that, uh, I mean, not only does it help as far as teaching as a teaching tool, as a teaching tool that seems integrated into the game environment, as opposed to just being like a handholdy tutorial piece. But I think, I, I mean, I do think it, it lends, it lends a lot of power to the overall design of a game as far as how it makes the player feel, right? So yeah, definitely. An easy, yeah, an easy example of that is, is actually, is actually Rocket League for me in the opposite sense, which is that uh, because there's nothing for me to work toward, I, I don't have any sort of drive outside of Rocket league to go play it aside from the fact that it's just like fun to play as a moment to moment thing yeah you're not you're um, not immersed in the game right you're, you're clearly that. playing a game whereas when i when i think about warframe right when we finished playing warframe on friday afternoon or thursday afternoon you know i went up and i did some reading about it about how to like min max stuff uh, i popped in the next morning to start something crafting since things take like 10 hours or so to build um i was thinking about how i could change my mods like it's it was a whole different thing and then i was also looking i think the nice thing about RPGization is it gives you something to look forward to in yeah. the game context where maybe there wouldn't actually be anything. And it might, yeah. it might be false, right? So that's the case of something like what we felt a bit in the division, which honestly felt like exactly this problem actually which yeah, is like felt like a tacked on yeah pointless rpgization yeah and I, I think <laughs> yeah. if it is tacked on like that i mean the players can tell obviously and it ends up being weird because the, you end up doing work where previously you would have been just been playing the game right you end up doing work but then the work feels hollow and so even so though you it feels towards like work. Gossiping, it actually feels worse yeah uh, yeah, that, that so actually is a really interesting point I hadn't thought about. The idea that if a game is pure skill, then so if if a game is uh is has an art RPG character customization and character improvement kind of an aspect to it, then you can almost in a way play the game even while you're not playing it just by thinking about it. Yeah, right. right? Like just by thinking about and planning what you want to do. Um, and like going up and Googling things or whatever. And the thing is like with Rocket League, I can watch as many, uh, you know, aerial hit montages as I want. I'm still going to be garbage at them. 
Yeah, because the only thing I can do is do a shitload of them and try to well, actually. Get yeah, so, so so what an RPG allows you to do is sort of make up for skill differentials by With spending power. by yeah by power by spending and, more time and thought yeah thinking through a problem so you can basically apply some sort of a basically a workaround to a skill to a missing right. skill problem. And it was interesting. also interesting because I so I mean we played a bunch of different games last week and one of those uh, that I played was Shelter Two. Which, for those of you who haven't played, is you, you play as a mother lynx and you have like four cubs that you start with. And then your goal is to like feed them and make them big. And you're also running around in this tundra. Now, the problem I had with it, first of all, it was beautiful. I loved it. It was really good. But I ended up refunding it. And here's the reason why. is because I couldn't figure out what the hell I was actually supposed to be doing. And <laughs> it's a bit it was, of a problem. <laughs> like, the gameplay itself was great. I mean, like you're chasing down rabbits and stuff. Uh, you're trying to get away from wolves on occasion. But like I kept on losing my... My babies. It's like one of them got eaten by wolves when I didn't know what was going on. Another one just disappeared. I'm still not sure where that one went. Um, <laughs> so I just have two babies left, but I'm, I'm very unclear as like what, there's no words in it. There's no guide as far as like, oh, like you need to go do this thing. And I think like I have much more of an achievement focus in particular just in life, but also with regards to games. And so not knowing how to make progress uh, can be very dissuading, I think. So, and I would, I would agree with that. I think that's exactly the kind of game that that is, though, where its its whole purpose is to basically be a simulator where where you're given a set of, of realistic rules just about how the world works. And you aren't, there's nothing you're supposed to be doing, right? You're just in, it's kind of like, it's, like Eve, on, it's like Eve Online if there weren't other players. Which sort of the, is the point. <laughs> right, just yeah. sort of the point. <laughs> Is, uh, is it actually the, the aspects of it that make it game-like? Meaning there's a set of rules you're you're working to understand and working against so that you can achieve some sort of domination over, over the thing. It's basically taken that away because now it's a simulation where you're just doing stuff within the confines of the rules. Right. And, and what an RPG does is it, is it basically allows you to, either in a really simple way, tack on kind of those goalposts yeah, goal of, of things that you can do that mark your progress of understanding the rule set. Therefore, making it a game, right, uh, that allows you to take a thing like this game and convert it from just a, a purely a simulation to something that actually feels like a game without actually changing the behavior of, of the game itself. Right. So then the question this, of, does every game really need level and skill progression? No, but it helps in a lot of cases. Yeah, <laughs> right. well, I guess that's, that's my help. answer. Is like, it's like being like, does it, would everybody... You know, does everybody really need like a sweet car that they can get to everywhere from? No, but it'd be great. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It would be great. We all had one. All right. Next question comes. uh, This is a this is more of a businessy question. This comes from Pixel and Bracket, which is a pretty cool name. What are your thoughts on releasing a free version and a paid version of a game on the various app stores? Worst thing ever why <laughs> but why i mean like why because it makes sense on the first blush right well it's basically asking it's a it's a the question of a demo kind of it's it's well let's let's not say it's a demo let's say it's actually two this is literally versions. two separate versions so which let's, is let's say crash lands it has Crashlands all of the ads. disadvantages of a demo oh i see without any of the positives so it's more like a free to play and a paid it's not it's not free it's a free this to play is, and a paid yeah let's version. go with that okay. this is how i believe angry birds got its start if well, i'm not this, mistaken well yeah i mean this used to be the only way you could do it i might be mistaken purchases. yeah there, before before the concept of in-app purchases existed Existed. There were free games and there were paid games. I might I might be completely wrong about this shit. I don't know. I'm usually wrong about most things. No, I think um, you're right about this. Pretty but sure. yeah, the, the problem with demos um, 
is that statistics seem to indicate that demos actually make people less likely to buy things by about 50%. Seem to. I can't I can't say that this is actually true. Um but I there think was a the- pretty good uh, just just rational argument for for that, which and I can't remember, it was by it was by one of the big YouTube channels that just dissects video game stuff. I can't remember which one, uh, but they basically made the point that there are sort of three states that your game can be in, and, and the same three states that your demo can be in, which is basically how how good and interesting it is, and and basically how good or interesting your demo is determines whether or not somebody will get your game. But those two things are basically uncorrelated from each other. Yeah, you might have a you might have a very rough around the edges first fifteen minutes of the game experience, but then it really mm-hmm. opens up and gets so super then badass. Will buy it. Or you make that free demo and it's really good, but then the game is bad, so the game has bad reviews. And people will do their research, right? They'll so if they play the demo and it's really good, but then they go to look at the game and see that it has bad reviews, they'll be like, oh, I guess the game's not as good as a demo and they won't buy it anyway. But here's another interesting case, which is actually Factorio again, because they do have a demo and the demo is the first it's like it's actually the whole tutorial. Before now, you get thrown into the hard part or the Yeah, the if I would have because I I bought it up front, so it's like whatever, but if I would have done the demo, I mean, I would have gotten excited enough to buy the game. I guarantee it. But if then what I would have gotten with that was <laughs> campaign where I'm like, what the fuck? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I would be a pleased person. Yeah, well, it actually makes you more likely to leave a bad review and, and therefore sink the game because you feel like you got bait and switched. Right. I think my so my the only position, case is going to work out well for you is if you basically have a really good demo leading to a really good game, in which case the really good game would stand on its own. Yeah, my position on demos is it's a it's a thing that shouldn't have to exist. So when you want to watch a movie, for example, and you will pay, you know, 12 bucks for a movie ticket or something, um, which is more than a lot of games are. So, you know, these are equivalent entertainment forms in terms of how much you will spend on on it. Um, you don't expect that the the studio that made the movie will also offer a free first 20 minute preview of the movie for you so you can decide whether to watch the rest of it. On like the other hand, a, it does give you free two minute previews. Yeah, but with trailers, but games do that too, right? I mean, games have trailers. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it just I don't like it. I don't like demos. I don't know. Well, okay, so let's, <laughs> let's not talk about this as a demo, though. Let's talk about this as a free to play version and a paid version, because that's a more it's a much more interesting experimental line to go down than uh, because I, all of us agree that doing a doing a demo of a game is a terrible idea. Um, but what about what about the actual case of in something like Crashlands doing a paid version, which is just straight up five bucks and you get it what you get right now or there's a free version where every say 15 minutes of gameplay you have to watch a video ad to continue playing let's just say that's we the because i said so <laughs> i would make it way fewer minutes like five but but yeah, yeah i get what you're saying or we put timers we add additional timers to everything and make you pay to get through them or, or whatever it doesn't matter right. but what would be the pros and cons well i i think to me you end up with so we all we know we all know about the pros of making a paid game which is it essentially filters out people who don't care about it. Um, But then you end up with the opposite problem, of course, with the free game, the free version of the game. Like I can guarantee you that if we put out a free version of Crashlands, it would have probably one to 1.5 stars 
lower on the stores. Yes. Um, for two reasons. One is we would have to do something, you know, like what you said, Sam, which is somehow find a way to put ads into it or something um, so that we could actually, you know, sustain our studio through that. Which means inevitably about five to 10 percent of people would go say there are too many ads in this free game. Right. And so there's that problem on the on the alternative. We could try to like literally treat it as a demo version of the game or something and just put mm-hmm. a stop a stopping point in the game and say, Hey, do you want to keep playing? Go play the full game. But then you get review bombed. Then you get a bunch of one of stars. Um, so either way we get hurt from that. And then the other thing is when you put a game out for free, you get people downloading it who actually aren't that interested in it, but maybe they just saw it or they heard about it somewhere or whatever. And since it costs them effectively nothing to download it, um, they will get it. And so you end up getting a, a large, a much, much larger group of players. Yes. But most of whom don't actually want to be playing your game. It's, I guess it's kind of like thinking about your Facebook friends versus your actual friends. Yeah. Like, this basically. Really, it's, a, it's a quality <laughs> thing, right? I mean, the, and I, I mean, I, we can just say this from our experience between the two, since we've done both, like the people that we get to interact with and who, who bought, who actually bought Crashlands up front for either $5 or $15 or both. Uh, they're just much more, they're like, they're more of the people that we want to have as our players at the end of the day, truthfully. Um, the the players who also pay us money during, like in a free-to-play context, are also that, for sure. But the difference is that they come along with 99 other people. <laughs> Every single one of them comes with 99 other people. Who just don't who are, care. Who don't care. And, and weirdly are like, for some reason, the freeness of the game makes people more mean to you as a developer, which they I do. Well, I it's that you give an inch. Understood. It's give an inch and they'll take a mile kind of a thing. Like yeah. by putting your game out for free, you've already demonstrated to people that uh, that you're willing to just give up something that you've put a lot of time into. Right. And they will take more of your time. Yeah. Uh, well, well, now every time you ask something of them, it feels like much more of an affront because they got so much. Because I mean, the fact is, if we make Crashlands free, you would get so much game for free that if we at any point did anything to inhibit that, like throw an ad in your face or ask you to do an IAP for something, then you would feel like something was being taken away from you. A big something. Big something. <laughs> even, even though you never paid for it. Because the thing is like what a player will, will end up doing is investing their time into the game. And so the more time they invest in the game, the more they feel like that's their thing now. And now the more they feel like you're taking away from them by constantly reminding them that they should be paying you for this thing. Yeah. And, and just, just to kind of throw some numbers behind this idea of free players don't care about your game. Uh, what we've seen in the past with our free games is that, and, and these are games that, you know, got great reviews from critics have, have generally, you know, good review scores, uh, from people on the play store and stuff like that. But the uninstall rate on day one is like 75%. It's very high. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so three that's out of four, normal. that's yeah. normal for a free game. It's, it might even be <laughs> on the, you know, the better end. Uh, so yeah, so well, that's also ignoring the fact it. that most people who don't uninstall it the first day still never actually even booted up and played anyway. Yeah, <laughs> right. They'll uninstall yeah. it later, sometime after they'll be looking at it and be like, I don't know what this is, and just uninstall it. You know, five weeks after they download. Yeah, so I mean, it's exciting as a dev because you're like, ooh, we have two million downloads, but you know, cut out three quarters of those right out of the gate. Um, and then of the 25% who are left, you know, take another maybe 10, of maybe 10% of those are people who are actually going to take time and play the game. 
and then and maybe ten percent of those will buy it from you. Yeah. Uh, so it's the funnel is crazy, and almost everybody then who sees the game you don't actually get to interact with, and and it's just not good. So yeah, if you so don't, don't, if you don't, don't have to do, do it, it, don't do it. Yeah. But yeah. if you're there just to grow your audience and get more, you know, people in the door, it's extremely viable, and especially if the game supports it. I mean, we talk about all these things in in uh, well, but that's not in true. A lot though. of ways, it is. Though. I mean, like with regards like League of Legends, for example. Like, yeah. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. Charge. But that's 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 a perfect example of one that you're no more likely to be successful making a free to play game than you are making a paid up front game. That's probably true. Yeah. I mean, I mean if anything, you're, you're more less likely, to, likely. You're more likely to be successful making any game than any other game. I would, I would Most say. games are very un- unsuccessful. You're, yeah. yeah, you're better off doing almost <laughs> anything else. Actually. You're better off raking, <laughs> raking leaves around the neighborhood. Probably, yeah, you, you do a lot better, actually. I don't even think it's a question of like which one works. It's it's that if you're going to, and this is, this is a thing that I think worked, worked for us okay, but was also maybe not the right way to do it, which was we, we started with free to play because we thought we had to, and that may or may not have been right. I th- currently think it was probably right, but who knows? Uh, but the idea was start to grow a player base so that we have more and more people who are interested in what we're doing that we can continue to sell stuff to. But here's the thing. If you have 2 million players, but the vast majority of them on a solid game on day one, the vast majority of those that are left never bought anything from you, then you actually only have a few thousand players. Right. It's the Facebook friends versus real friends situation again. Like, they don't actually care. No. Those are the people who might buy the next thing you make, is those thousand people that are left. But if you had made a paid up front game, you might have been able to sell a thousand copies anyway. Well, and there's the sort of side conversation about, you know, it, it depends on what store you're on. Like, if you're putting it onto... Um, iTunes, Google Play. Uh, there's separate sections for paid games and free games. Yeah, people who go into the paid games section are people who are looking to pay money for a game. People who go into the free games section are not. Um, and so many more free games come out than paid games. It's probably a, something on the order of like 95% free. I would it's imagine a lot more. Yeah. Um, there's just a much bigger competition pool there as well. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's tricky. Mm-hmm. Very tricky, but you gotta make sure that whatever you do with your game is aligned with whatever you're trying to do as a studio. So our goal is to, you know, move into the premium space, get a huge player base that actually cares about us and that we can say, Hey, we got t-shirts for this or, Hey, we got a new game coming out and that they will actually respond. So having just free to play players doesn't really. Yeah. I, I'd say a big part of of the motivation behind pushing to make Crashlands a, a premium game was that kind of realization that we had was that we had, I think prior to Crashlands, we had what four something million players across all of our games or downloads. I think it was three. Yeah. But as far as actively engaged people, uh, I think it was a, about 1% if that, uh, so, you know, it looks like huge numbers, but as far as actually trying to grow a fan base and build a sustainable business out of it, it's not really going to put you in that much of a, of a better position as if you had made a paid game, probably. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll move on to the next question, which is just a general question from Gafferman. It's kind of a goofy one, which is good. You've been chosen as representatives for humanity's first contact with extraterrestrials. How do you proceed? I'd probably set up a Skype call. <laughs> I, I don't want to meet... The extraterrestrials face to face. Maybe they don't even have faces to meet. They probably have to use butts Discord. with their faces. Yeah, because Discord. The Skype call would probably cut out and then become garbled, and then they would think we said something that they would cause an intergalactic war. <laughs> That's a very elaborate. I'm just situation. saying, uh, you should. Wait a minute. Skype. Here's a question. 
Did we go to their planet or did they come to ours? I feel like it's very important because that establishes the power difference. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, if this was happening right now, it'd have to be them coming to us. Let's, let's assume that. Let's assume or that. what if it's what if it's actually neither? What if it's we what met if it's in the middle? <laughs> no, it's 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 none of those scenarios at all. What if it's instead we just say we think aliens are out there, so let's just fire off a uh, a, a, a radio a radio contact from some representatives of humanity. I hmm. I think well so part I, of the part of the important thing about like building a relationship with someone is knowing what they're interested in what they care about like being able to listen to them you know and I feel like I mean I guess it's the same reason why people get like really scared about approaching people in public like in a grocery store or something because they might be aliens <laughs> yeah because they, <laughs> they might be wearing the skin of a human they no might because be Donald Trump supporters well it's because you don't actually <laughs> yeah uh, you don't know anything even about worse them. you don't know anything about them so as a result you have no basis to actually say something which is intelligible which I feel like this is that effect on a cosmic scale this is the approaching the cute girl at the grocery store on a cosmic scale right here you got to figure out like what can you go what can you go up and be like hey I also like chicken noodle soup you know I mean can you do that I, I feel like though I feel like you wouldn't be able to know what the hell they want what do they care about here's the problem though I, I feel like if aliens came here I I feel like we should all be kind of embarrassed a little bit. Kind of. Like, <laughs> just because... Be like, look Adam's, at this planet we fucked up. Because well, really. right not now, disagreeing with the direction, just right, with the amplitude. Just degree. <laughs> because yeah. right now, you know, we have this kind of very instinctive tribal nature built into our human psyche where we tend to define uh, ourselves as relative to some other, right? And once we actually come in contact with aliens, the other will no longer be like people who are of a different religion or nationality from you who you're supposed to be fighting with or whatever, or people who are across the political aisle or, you know, whatever it is, the dividing lines that that people have drawn. Now, all of a sudden, it's going to be there's us and then there's the aliens, And uh, when people start looking at themselves as just part of the collective whole of humanity, it becomes very obvious that we've just done a really, really shitty job of doing anything cohesive or cooperative just like as a planet. Personally, I think this is a super optimistic view of humanity you have in this scenario. No, I'm saying we should be embarrassed. Yeah, but what will really happen... I don't know if we will be. We might just nuke them. I don't know. What will really happen is, you know, five Five or six nations would be trying to figure out how to nuke the aliens. Another couple would be trying to figure out how to form diplomatic relationships with them. Oh, and, it's going to be a clusterfuck. And then a bunch of religions would be uh, sacrificing themselves. A bunch of other ones would become militant and try to kill the aliens. Some of them would try to convert the aliens. Yep. Uh, and that would be the best case scenario. Have you heard and about then in space, the end, Jesus? <laughs> space. And then in the end... <laughs> All of the all of the people involved would end up fighting each other about what to do to interact with the aliens and would end up killing each other anyway. So the aliens would land and then the humans would be like, okay, cool. We it's good talk. We'll go chat about this. We'll be back. And then and within then, 24 and then we'll hours, just go kill each other. The entire then, planet's destroyed. And then the, the aliens like, emerge well, and they're like, I guess we'll just move in here after the radiation dies down. And then yeah. they'll be that, I guess. Poor Maybe it. that's what happened in the first place. Maybe that's how we got here, you know? Yeah. We Maybe that's been. how dinosaurs, you know? You know? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know? That's how, di- <laughs> that's how dinosaurs. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question comes from Goober Goobs. That's good. Who that's asks, good name. As much as you guys enjoyed doing the game jams, would you ever consider hosting a game jam for the Butterscotch community? We actually should do that. 
We did do one called the Butterscotch Jam once, which we offered for anybody to hop into, but nobody did. The community was super, super tiny at that time. (laughs) There was no community at that time. I think someone tweeted at us. They're like, this sounds cool. Well, the problem was the Butterscotch Jam took place during the work day on Monday through Friday. Also, it was five eight-hour jam. Games. It was five separate yeah. games. Yeah, that it might have been a little much for <laughs> most. Yeah, the most people have populace. a pretty hard time with a forty-eight-hour jam on a weekend. Well, we but there are <laughs> also plenty of jams that people can get involved with already. So, the, to me, the question is, what could what would we do that made it Ooh. interesting enough to actually do the butterscotch jam? Or could we get a coalition of butterscotches together and all jump onto a jam? Jam jump. The butterscotch jam jump. 2016. <laughs> the Jam Jack. Yeah, the Jam Jack. We'll There's hijack a jam. <laughs> I would. Uh, I would like to do. I think. I think Ludum Ludum Dare Ludum Dare. It's coming up. I think it's coming up pretty soon. Yeah. Um. That might be a a fun one to do. But would you want to? Would you want a butterscotch? We hijack can't. Jam no, we, that, that one's really big. We can't hijack that. There's no. There's no way that. There's would usually work. something okay, like 1,300 participants. What if we did this? So if we said, okay, the weekend before whatever this jam is, we will have a couple hour workshop via Google Hangouts on the internet where we say, here's kind of how we think about making games to make them really really fast over the course of a weekend that are actually you know usable and good. So it's like a little learning session. Yeah. And then, and then we hijack the jam. Jam jack. We jam jack it. And then... And then we jam so, and jump. Then, and then the everybody jam. who's who did it, who's also a B-Scotch, you know, we find some place to pool all the games together so we can all be like, yeah, we did a thing. Whatever. Yeah, that, that is something that I've been wanting to do more of as a studio. I mean, we've been so immersed in Crashlands work that we haven't gotten to do as much of this as, as I think we would have liked. But uh, just, just the aspect of enter- education and teaching people about game dev. And um, we used to do a mentorship program called the eight bit dev pipe. So we did two rounds of that. And I think That's we're going to, I enjoyed the crap. Out yeah, of I think it. we're going to fire that up again. Probably once Adam uh, comes up to St. Louis yeah. in some new incarnation. Yeah. I mean, it's something we've always liked to do and we're always giving talks and seminars and stuff up here. Um, so yeah, doing something that's more jam focused, I think would be super fun. Yeah. But I, do I do it. think the only reason to do it is if we can add something interesting on top. Like hot sauce. Yeah. Otherwise we might as well let other people organize it and just go to theirs. Cause it's jam a, lot, jack. It's a jack. lot less work. And then we get to jam instead of organizing a jam. Yeah. Butterscotch is Jack. The yes. Jam. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll, we'll find somebody else's jam. We will host an event the weekend before teach people about jamming. They will jam jack it. I like it. Jam jack it. All right, cool. Uh, last question. Maybe Seth, how are we doing on time? Uh, I think Maybe. we could probably do two more if we do them right. kind of quick. Two questions. This one's from Roxton. Who's a new question asker, which is exciting asks uh, the psychology of jackpots. Diablo does it with random progressive loot. Crashlands does it with component rare drops. It's a spectrum. At what point do you think it becomes either lazy game design or even abusive to the user? Mm. Well, here's a question. What makes it lazy or abusive? Yeah, it's, uh, or abusive, yeah. This has a strangely negative tone to it. It's uh, uh, very accusatory. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like maybe Roxton's got some feelings about the drops. Let's start from the other side. What What is the reason to have... What's the point? Random loot. What okay. does it do? The reason is that that doing the same thing over and over again is not that interesting. And that is the most efficient way to make a game, actually. So in Quadrupus Rampage, what do you do? You just beat the hell out of a lot of fish. Same thing. <laughs> thousands <laughs> and thousands of fish. In Crashlands, you are chopping trees and, you know, whatever. You're just building stuff. and Hundreds and hundreds trees. of trees. Well, yeah, by time, you're by time harvesting you're thousands of things and killing thousands of things. Yes. Um, if every tree you cut down broke or uh, uh, dropped one log and always one log and nothing new, nothing else, just that... 
um, you would get bored because as they say, you know, variety is the spice of life and maybe it's more like the crack cocaine of life is what Rockstar's yeah, getting at. But I think, life. I think surprises are one of the core foundations of what makes anything fun. So, I mean, you, and you could apply this to anything in life. So imagine if you're, imagine you're watching your favorite soccer team, right? Let's say, or football, depending on where you live. Let's say for the past 20 years, they've won every single match three to two. Every like for, like they've played thousands of matches, and every match turns out exactly the same. Would you can would you keep watching that? Like it's always going to end up the same, right? So you no longer give a shit because like why would you watch those matches? Mm-hmm. It's not knowing what's going to come next that makes the match interesting. And so in other words, the, the loot drop system is a way to make an interaction that happens a lot uh, go from being maybe some tedious boredom piece after a short period of time to being just continually interesting. Yeah, well, the right. difference between boredom and fun is the element of surprise, really. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty much where that lies, I think. So where do you think uh, going to this idea? So that's kind of the point then, right? Is that as a, as a game designer, I mean, taking it back even one step further mechanically, uh, we can't make it so that it's different every time you cut the tree, right? If you had to play like a different mini game, if it was like well, yeah, WarioWare. We, we can't develop that. Like we yeah, would, there's just, there's not enough hours of a spectrum of content. Yeah. So I guess so, that's the sense of where the laziness comes in. Right. It's, right. In principle, we could. I mean, we could. Well, it's, but here's well, the thing. That would be a way shittier game. Oh, yeah. It would be really hard to play, but it's also like, that's not, that's not a question of, there's a, there's a fine line between laziness and not having enough resources. Actually, I shouldn't say there's a fine line, but from the player's perspective, like I'll often hear players accuse developers of being lazy about this feature or that feature, um, in a game that's really, really complicated or huge in a lot of ways and clearly took a ton of resources to make. And it's weird to think that a dev would like put so much time and energy and manpower into everything in the game. And then for some reason become lazy when it comes to like one specific feature. Um, I don't think laziness really factors into it. I think it's just a matter of, of resources that you have to allocate. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, though, though it can be lazy though, because not all randomness is the same, you know, like, cause the, the idea here is that you're trying to make it so that someone just doesn't quite know what to expect. Right. So in the case of Crashlands, when you hack a tree down, it always gives you between like one and three logs and that's, maybe some sawdust and yeah. maybe seed. If, uh, if we also allowed it to give you nothing, then that would suck. It would feel horrible to like do a little bit of work <laughs> and then get no reward. Right. Yeah. yeah. True randomness is the laziest and the worst game. Design. Yeah. You need to have, it, it's actually designing a good random system that, that feels good is actually very, very difficult. It takes a it's, it's lot a, of work. Man. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a balance problem. So so I think it actually is true that you can have... Actually, I would take take Magisite. We were just talking about this earlier. Magisite is a super fun game, but there's something that you'll notice when you play it that feels really bad, and it might not be obvious, um, but it's that it's a random... The levels are randomly generated, which is fine. They're, they're pretty, pretty fun, well-laid-out levels, but the, the bad guys on them are completely randomly distributed. Meaning when you start a, it's an, it's a roguelike. So once you die, you're dead forever to start over, but you may start a, start a new game. And the first thing you're confronted with is a bad guy that has, would require a hundred hits from you that can and, kill you yeah. in two or one or two hits. And that is so surprise tall, it takes up the entire space. So you can't get around it. So that would be surprise a good example. Yeah. That's a good example of just like kind of lazy randomness. Would you call that abusive? No, to me, that's just, it's, I would, I would not put it on the fun. lazy side. Yeah. It's just not fun. <laughs> Yeah. But that is a good question. It's like, at what point can it become abusive? Because like, to me, this is what this is probably getting at, is the idea of, of, of a 
game behaving like a gambling device. Right. Which, I mean, interestingly, you know, there's been more, and we've talked about this a bit with uh, Clash Royale that just came out too, but there's been there's been more and more, uh, it seems like, sort of tilting toward those mechanisms in free-to-play games, you know, more more so than, than pay-up-front games. Yeah, just well, because that's, that's their whole job is to get you to play it as much as possible. And to, right, and the way they make money is from that. So, yep. you know, even something like uh, in Hearthstone, for example, the fact that you have your, you buy a little pack of cards and it opens up and you get five random cards out of it um you know that that's the sort of thing where like yeah you're sure the player's buying something that's useful for themselves but maybe but the maybe but that's the, <laughs> thing. Like, the fact that it's a maybe is the weird thing where it starts crossing the line from being if you paid for it it starts crossing into the questionable gambling territory yeah, yeah. but um, i think there's I, I I agree. I'm not going to disagree, but I think I'm going to play devil's advocate. Sure, yeah. Well, this is a weird line. If so you it's good to explore. If you bought Crashlands for five dollars or fifteen dollars, and you had never played it before, you have no idea whether it's actually going to be something you enjoy. Sure. So just like buying a pack of cards in Hearthstone, which, by the way, costs the same amount as the entire game of Crashlands. Uh, I don't think that's true, though, because yeah, because there's an information asymmetry there, right? So in the case of buying Crashlands, you could read if you want. That's to, true. You can do 10,000 goddamn five star reviews and be like, OK, this is probably a game that I want. Like it's so, probably pretty medium. So you actually get to <laughs> actually the number of stars itself, basically, like on a, you know, on a review aggregation is basically the measurement of the risk involved with you throwing five dollars at it correct when you buy a pack of cards in a game that could be anything it's just random it's just random you, you have no way of actually of estimating your the the cost to you of of that five dollar purchase so then in that case i would say that you're you're gambling without actually a sense of of what the of what the reward is so is the idea then that that it's not necessarily abusive, but it has the potential to be abusive as soon as the randomness is attached to the player's finances. Yeah, I would say absolutely. Yeah, I, th- I, I would agree. Yeah, yeah I mean, I I'd think say that's fair. I think it's the case. Um, just because of the case that it, it doesn't, it then does transfer slightly too far into gambling territory, at least in my in my mind. Um, but I think in general, I mean, general random drop systems. So, for example, in Diablo, uh, Diablo three is a good example. Like Diablo three is one of the games that I just, if I want to just kind of chill out, like that's one of the games that I actually go do and chill out in because of the fact that the way that they did their random uh, drop system is such that it just makes me feel great for playing the game. And yeah, you'll just find some better stuff periodically just yeah, by, by and, playing. And yes, uh, in that sense, it is, I mean, it is addictive, but I think the, the, so the, there's always this weird line that people straddle when it comes to the question of addiction and games um, and just the general, what is a game doing that is positive or negative or whatever else? And there's, there's questions of escapism and the benefits or you know, negative sides of that, as well as this question of addiction but i think the weird thing is like it's it's an interesting thing to think about because the reality is our job is to make people have a really good time and yeah and on the other side and that's something not that they ruin <laughs> someone's life as a consequence yeah yeah, yeah. well i mean yeah, that's how we think about it we try to think holistically about it <laughs> but i mean yeah even if you're not like the point is your job as a game developer for the most part unless you're making like you know horror games or something but um as a game developer for the most part your job is to make people feel good make people happy and like that sort of give them a sense of achievement and the reality is that depending on their life situation they may only be getting that from a game or you know some other form of media entertainment yeah and is 
that dangerous to offer them at that point? Well, or, or think about it. Know. Think about it this way, right? It's it's also the just the capability of a thing to do to do bad, right? Because because yeah, it's true that in a game like Diablo, uh, the the random nature of drops can sort of kicks kick some uh, addictive behaviors in. Mm-hmm. But you know, for the vast vast majority of people, that's that's a handleable kind of thing, and the kind of impact it can have on your life is getting people to play the game too much and having trouble going and doing other things. So it, it can impact people in real ways. And in that sense, it's dangerous, but the, the likelihood of that happening to any, you know, one person is not very high Sure. versus well, yeah. I think, something I think, like, yeah. well, to, to finish, you know, something like clash Royale or clash of clans, right? Where there's no limit to how much money you can spend in these games. And in fact, spending more money makes you do better. And it's possible to, to really put in, you know, hundreds of dollars a day into this kind of game without, without any, and this is all being done via, credit card so you don't actually see the effects until you look at your credit card statement at the end of the month and so in here because of the sort of defray between i guess because of the real high costs of things and the uncapped costs of things where all these addictive things are being rewarded immediately where the cost of them is being defrayed into the future so you don't actually see it until later then that has really obvious, I mean, very obvious room to cause Easily a lot abusive. of damage. And it, yeah. and it can, and, and I would say it in itself doesn't, isn't necessarily inherently abusive. It just has a lot of potential to cause really bad consequences to, to happen to a large number of people. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe in, in, in sorry, go ahead. Seth. I was going to say, I mean, even, even ignoring the financial side of things. Um, I mean, I, I am a person who has, had uh, been significantly impacted by gaming addiction. That's true. Um, There's probably been a two year period of my life where I think I probably put in 200 days of World of Warcraft, which is not to say I played it for 200 days out of those two years. It's like hour by hour. If you add it all up, you know, all those hours I played, it adds up to 200 days. Right. Yeah. Uh, But in retrospect, it was not the fault of the game. I mean, the the developers of the game, their job is to make something that's really, really entertaining and engaging and, uh, you know, like gives you that sense of accomplishment and doing cool things or whatever. And on the flip side, like there's an equal responsibility for me as a player to understand that it's not real, you know. And that every hour I spend in that game is super fun and enjoyable, but I also have an actual real life that I need to take care of. Um, and so I, I don't know. I, I feel so like I, there's a mutual responsibility. Well, I guess here's my here's my question on on that because is it is it just the case that you know like like any manufacturing of any product? So take pencils as a weird alternative to games. Um, there is certain danger inherent in the making of your product of almost any product. Everything can be abused. Yeah, well, in the sense that like there's there's potential loss associated with whatever you make whenever that thing also gives people gains. Uh, so in the case of, of a pencil, for example, we can take two examples. One, someone trips and you just get stabbed by a shitload of pencils they're holding. <laughs> <laughs> you like the fact that you made those pencils killed. Me. Had they yeah. not been holding those pencils, you made they, right. that uh, person another still be here softer with us. example. Maybe someone just took one pencil in with them to a test. Your pencil broke. Your pencil had a structural failure that they couldn't get another pencil on for the test. Now they failed their test. Their life is ruined. They don't go um, to college. And I guess, so the, the interesting thing is like maybe just the inherent uh, danger in the making of games is this addiction side, right? That That is exactly right though, because the whole, the whole point of the game is that it's supposed to be a really amazing thing to escape into. Right. And that is a really, really appealing thing. And like you had mentioned, Sam, for somebody who, for whatever reason, isn't satisfied with their life, 
And for me, you know, it was part of it was the frustration of basically being in college and not knowing why I was there and not having a life plan and basically just being generally confused about everything in my life. Um, I, it was very easy for me to jump into games where my goals were super clear. Like, I'm going to level up. I'm going to hit exalted reputation. I'm going to get that next sword or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really easy to just allow that to take over your life because it's just a much easier place to exist. Um, but, you know, it's hard to say. Like, if I didn't have that game, I don't think it's fair to say that I would have had my life in order. Right? Or that you no, would have really found would. some other and maybe worse outlet. <laughs> yeah, like maybe I... I yeah. I mean, as, who as knows far what as it would have been? Yeah, as far as addictions go, as long as it's not to a free to play game, uh, being addicted to just a, like a pay once game, uh, you know, or at not, least a cap not game. the worst. I mean, this reminds me of actually, it's kind of, I mean, it's a funny thing. To say, it's kind of a stupid thing to say, but it reminds me of when, uh, when I got diagnosed with, with uh, lymphoma cancer because they were like, oh, well, I mean, it's not the worst of all cancer. The cancers, <laughs> yeah, of all the cancers to get, it's not the worst one to get. I mean, I guess it's not kind as of good as testicular you. cancer, but it's all right. That's exactly <laughs> what they said. It's not as good as testicular, but it's way better than like, you know, stomach or bone or something. I'm like, great, thanks. You're guys. like, sweet. <laughs> still have cancer. <laughs> yeah. So, actually, high fives that's, all that's around. an interesting way to look at it, right? Because the danger of addictive things is, is for people who have trouble with addictive things. Yeah, for 99% of the people who interact with it, it's no, it's no problem. But for 1%, it really is a problem, so... It is important that to on the the game developer side to to be aware of that fact that that you're making it a, a a thing that because of what its purpose is can can cause that kind of damage to a small set of people and so the only thing that I think is just absolutely responsibility is to be aware of that and try and try not to do things that could cause immense amounts of harm. Yeah. Because like there are definitely ways, there are things that you can do to a game's design, depending on, like, for example, if the, if the loops are designed in a certain way that make a person need to feel like, like to feel like they need to come back every five minutes or, or a thing that makes them feel like they need to pay money to you every five minutes forever, then things like those can end up causing people with addictive personalities to get just sucked so hard into that thing that, that, that it becomes a part of their life they can't get away from. Right. And I mean, it is part of the reason why there are, our general approach to free to play has been uh, weird in the sense that it's not, it doesn't follow the actual free-to-play models where there's still always a payment cap. Which is right? also why it's been unsuccessful for us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, that's completely true yeah. because the reality, and our you know, players love it because they're like, oh my God, this is the best free-to-play implementation because I don't have to pay anything. <laughs> and we're like, like damn it. <laughs> yeah, I do have to, um, which actually makes me think though that I, I think the, like the, the video, the video ad and ad supported method where players actually can't can't or don't need to pay anything but can watch ads instead is a hell of a lot more ethical of a way to do free yeah i mean actually i don't don't mind that one at all actually yeah um i mean i I, of course it breaks immersion but i mean yeah well i mean i would much rather have a capped a capped payment where they could be like pay five bucks never never see an ad and get all the normal stuff that's in the game right well that's just i mean to to me it's a it's a hilarious uh sort of (laughs) sort of mismatch between people like the way that people actually value their time and then like the perceived uh value of of doing things so like i personally i don't want to watch ads period i don't want i don't want people to be like trying to sell me shit um but if like i could i could watch a hundred video ads and it would take me what like a half an hour or something Mm -hmm. Um, and I could get, you know, quite a few things in these various games. But on the flip side, I could probably go mow a lawn in a half hour and get 20 bucks. And Right. You know. Maybe you've recognized <laughs> that someday you're going to die and maybe you don't want to spend 30 minutes of your life watching ads. Just having people trying to fucking sell me bleach or yeah. whatever. <laughs> 
I got all the bleach I need. Thanks. Yeah. Although, but it, but it's also true that you know a very large fraction of people just can't buy stuff, and so so ads really the only option. I mean, to me, yeah. to me, the most interesting group of people when it comes to free to play and and just payment models in general are those who can afford to pay for stuff and just choose to waste their time instead. Yes. And get angry when a game is three dollars <laughs> instead of two dollars, right? Because that game is too expensive for what it's for it is, right? To me, yeah. that's the that's the interesting niche of people. Because I think the one value of free to play, inarguably, is it allows people who can't afford to play games or to to buy games to yeah. still play them, and they can pay for it in a sense. Yeah, and well, somebody else is paying for it on their behalf, and they sacrifice their time to to do it, mm-hmm. which is actually it's about how payment works, right? Is you give your time to somebody, and they give you some money in return. Time is money, friend. And I think that's it's right. a it's a pretty <laughs> shitty, shitty job to watch ads, of course. But you know, for that's your job now. For for a lot of people, that's and I think it's an important thing to to recognize that if you watch ads to pay for things in games, you're actually being paid to watch advertisements. And if that's you're, cool, that's with you, your job. More power to you. <laughs> uh, or if it's your only option, then that's actually great that that is an option. Yeah. So so that, I mean, to me, that's that's the one thing that I think is unfortunate about our de- our departure from free to play is that there is now a large set of people who would love to play our games, but but just can't. Although on the other hand, we know that most of those are pirating the game anyway, so it probably works out. <laughs> in the end. Yeah, but but know, also, there's a handful of oddest people who would love to play the game and, and aren't willing to steal it, which, you know, I'm happy for, but I also now feel bad about because they have no other way to get it. Yeah, but I, I do think, though, that, you know, we've priced things pretty reasonably. And so, you know, if, if somebody if somebody has a super tight budget or something, but they still want to play Crash Lands, you know, it's it's uh, it's five dollars. And, you know, over the course of a couple months or something, you could definitely make it happen. So well, it actually reminds me, too. We talked about this in the past, right, of back when we were kids and we just had a small allowance for mowing the lawn and that kind of stuff. And we had to save money to buy games for twenty dollars then. Yeah. Or PC games anyway. Well, Game, game Boy games were 30, I recall. PC yeah. games so. were actually I guess PC games were probably already 30 bucks. They were, yeah, they were, yeah, they were up there. It was it was a couple months of mowing. To, yeah, we had, uh, we had to do a lot to of work get to get this. And, and when we bought a game that was the only game and there weren't free to play games although shareware was starting to come out because the internet was coming out at the same time uh, or becoming more widely available you know we grew up at a time where you had to work and raise a bunch of money and then go buy one game and then you're out and it was a, it was a big risk fortunately that was the only game that know. came out that month so it's yeah fine. there were a lot of games <laughs> or at least the only one that was available at comp usa on the shelf yeah well next to some casino games because those have been around forever and will never go away yeah but there was something that, that also felt really good about that you know it's like you'd Put all this money you earned that you, shit. You earned it's just, it. It's the RPGization of lawn mowing is what that is. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the quest reward is you get to go buy Diablo 2. And, and then you bring it home and you're so pumped about it. And like, you know, and then and it, it, it has a real sense of of ownership and connection. And like and the fact that, you know, Blizzard became a household name, you know, the developers of the game, which, you know, like that doesn't happen for free to play games. Yeah. Except for I, the ones at the very top, just because the Rovio, names are thrown around yeah, so I mean, much. Rovio tried to make it happen for them, but now they're, those guys are in a world of pain. Right? Yeah, that's not working out. So they do have a movie coming out, though. So who knows? They do, yep. They mm-hmm. did diversify into film for some reason. So, <laughs> so all right. Well, I think that's all the time we have. Um, I think we went a little bit over but you know we Definitely. did miss two weeks so we're trying to make up for lost time so mm-hmm. um so yeah thank you all for listening and uh if you want to check out our games head on over to games.bscotch.net we also have a community over at forums.bscotch.net so if you hop on over there you can uh, say hello and we we may even wave back and uh, like I mentioned earlier, if you want to get your questions onto the podcast, you can ask at podcast.bscotch.net. And we do a fresh set of questions every week. So there's a pretty good chance that you'll get your question on here. All right. Any, any last words, guys? Nope. nope. 
All right, then we thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.